0: You're listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hofkeiser-Ilkovich. I had the amazing honor of hosting the New York Women in Communications Wiki Awards, which celebrate the career achievements of rising stars in communications. The panel at the Wikis featured incredible women sharing their own career advice, and we were absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to record the event and share it with you for this podcast episode. This special episode of Coffee Break with New York Wiki is brought to you by the New York Times podcast, The Daily. Stay tuned to hear a little bit of the amazing content you can find by listening to that podcast every day. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor. We hope you all enjoy meeting the Wiki Award winners through this episode. Thanks for listening. everyone, good morning. I'm Julie Hawkeiser-Ilkovich. I am the host of Coffee Break with New York Wiki, which is our podcast. And if you don't know who I am, that means you don't listen to our podcast. So immediately following this, please subscribe. And if you like it, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, I have to say that. Um, thank you all so much for being here this morning. We are here to celebrate these amazing women who have worked so hard. and have sacrificed so much to make it where they are today. So I just want to take a minute to acknowledge them and give them another (laughs) round of applause. (laughs) And thank you to New York Women in Communications for giving me the opportunity to ask them these questions. The point of today's panel is really to hear the career stories and get the career advice of these women. They have done so much. So we should learn from them so we can have a shortcut to success, which is what we're going to get today. Just so you all know, we are recording this event for our podcast, so it will be available as an episode of the podcast. And I'm going to ask some of the questions that we ask on our podcast um, because they're fun, but also because our listeners will be expecting them. So the first thing that we're going to talk about um, is coffee. Our podcast is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Um, and what I'm going to have each person do is introduce themselves, say what their job title is, and also what that means, because I feel like sometimes it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. So tell us what you do. And then tell us what your coffee drink of choice is. So we'll go right down the line.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, well, first of all, thank you for showing up for us super early. I was certainly in the car at 530 on my way here from Rye, New York with my husband and daughter. Um, so that was early for us. That a round of applause. Um, My name is Ashley Miles. I am the chief client officer for Refinery29, our head of advertising. So essentially, I lead the advertising, sales, marketing solutions, and client services division at Refinery29, uh, the leading media company, most influential media company for young women today globally. Um, I have been with the company five and a half years. So I was an early employee um, and one of the more entrepreneurial folks building every day for five and a half years to make this company what we are today, which has been pretty awesome. Um, My coffee drink of choice might freak you out, um, but it's a triple shot of espresso over ice, splash of almond milk, no sugar from Starbucks every single morning to get me going. Um, So that's how I roll.
0: That's all you need to say about your life.
2: Hi, I'm Jennifer Bender. I'm a senior manager of communications at Pfizer. Um, There, I support the strategy and commercial operations group. Um, And under that group, there are five um, more groups that uh, support the um, critical business functions across Pfizer. And so in my role, I support internal and external communications for those groups and also for the leadership team. Um, my coffee drink of choice is similar to yours. Um, it is seasonal. So in the summertime, I tend to do two shots over ice with skim milk, sometimes three, depending on the day. Um, and in the winter, I tend to do just, uh, hot coffee, we'll splash of half and a half, no sugar. <laughs> Thanks.
3: Hi, I'm Lauren Skaronsky. I'm senior vice president of corporate communications at NBC universal. So what I do in this role is support all of our corporate executives and corporate functions with media relations needs, so that includes our digital enterprise group and our government affairs team, Um, and also I oversee internal communication for NBC Universal, which really connects all 50,000 employees across the company and across all divisions. Coffee drink of choice, not as strong as these (laughs) ladies, but I love an iced hazelnut all all seasons uh, with soy and Splenda.
4: Hi, I'm Lisa Tobin. I'm the executive producer of audio at the New York Times. Um, What that means is that two years ago, the New York Times decided to get into audio in the first place. And I was the um, first hire that they made to figure out what that would look like. And in the last two years, that's looked like a lot of things, but um, namely, the creation of The Daily which launched um, two weeks after the, elect- after the inauguration of Donald Trump. So it's been a wild ride. <laughs> um, and as a result, my
5: coffee drink of choice is the coffee in front of me at all times. <laughs> Hi. I, first of all, I just have to say I've found my people because your coffee drinks are inspiring <laughs> and just the... The strength of them, actually, just um, is inspiring in and of itself. Um, my name is Michelle Tan. I'm the editorial director at Makers. We're a feminist media brand. And our mission is really to make sure all women's stories are seen and heard. What that means is I spend every day looking for incredible women, telling their stories, and lifting up other women, um, which is an incredible um, day-to-day um, goal that I have. And in order to do that, I have a black co- it's a red eye, which is just a black coffee with a shot of espresso in it. Um, and that shot of espresso is due to the two-year-old Toddler that I take care of every single day. It used to just be a black coffee, but then she came along, so we had to <laughs> up it a little bit.
0: I, if I've learned one thing from posting this podcast and asking important women about what they, their coffee drink is, is that it really says like so much about you, kind of like in a scary way. So you've gotten you've gotten the personalities here. You all have had amazing careers. And unfortunately, we don't have time for you each to walk us through your career path. So what we're going to do this morning is have you tell us your favorite role other than the one that you have now, because that's just not fair. Um, We're actually going to start with Lauren. Sorry. (laughs) Because Lauren shared in a pre-interview that her favorite job was she was an NBC page, which is the coolest. So we'd love to hear about that. And then who's the best celebrity you ever met, we have to ask. And then we'll go down the line, whichever way you guys choose. So
3: yes, I was an NBC page. I'm sure many in this room have heard of the page program, but it's really one of the premier uh, industry entry level rotation programs out there. Um, it's actually turning 85 years old this wow. year. Fun fact that you learn when you work in corporate communications. <laughs> um, but I, I I just am such a fan of these type of programs, particularly when you're just getting your start, because you really get um, your foot in the door, but you also get to try a lot of things. And that's not a luxury that we all have, to try something, see if you, really, if it sticks with you, if you you know, kind of refine what your career interests are and gives you a really solid foundation, at least for me in the broadcast media industry. Um, the other amazing part of it, besides the celebrity aspect, which was really fun, um, I think Justin Timberlake, I walked into his car once. That was probably <laughs> the was highlight of it. <laughs> a pretty good celebrity sighting. Um, but you get to meet so many other people that are going through the same thing you are. So there's about 60 pages every year. And I would say my page group is probably my longest uh, standing group of friends, so I still rely on that group of peers to help me every day in my career and help me with big decisions. So I think that peer foundation is also really important.
1: Um, So my favorite job that I ever had was my very first sales role at InStyle.com. Um, It was 12 months after I graduated college. So before this job, I was a sales assistant at InStyle Magazine. So 12 months in, after college, sales assistant at InStyle Magazine. And I am in the elevator at 8 p.m. at Time, Inc. Um, and I run into this incredible woman in the elevator and I reach my hand out, introduce myself. She's actually with us today. Her name's Melissa Guidel, okay? (laughs) I was a baby girl with no experience at all, Um, and I meet this woman in the elevator, and I thought, I think she's amazing, reached out, introduced myself, went home that night, went to sleep. I came back to Time, Inc. the next morning, and there was a post-it note on my little cube um, that basically said, hi, come find me. I'm at People Magazine, Melissa Goidel. I'm like, oh my god, it's the crazy woman from the elevator. (laughs) So I go to People Magazine floor and knock on this woman's door, and she basically says, okay, you're going to help me build out InStyle.com. You're going to be one of my first salespeople. And I said, you're absolutely crazy. I have no clients. I have no experience. I've never taken a presentation course, sales training. Like, I really think this is crazy. And she said, you have no choice. You're starting tomorrow. (laughs) And so I accepted the job. Uh, and she was so busy because she had People.com, EW, Style, and I was one of the only people other than the editor at InStyle.com. And so, no offense to Melissa, she really didn't have time for me, and I wasn't her biggest priority. <laughs> and so I basically had to figure it out, right? And so I took the bull by the horns and basically built out that business with a few people, uh, without experience, and to me, that was the not the most fun job, um, definitely the most stressful job, but definitely the best job, because I had to be independent, I had to be scrappy, I had to be creative, and I had to go and build something from scratch, and that is the core of my DNA today, and I carry that experience with me in my job as CCO of Refinery 29, so I thank you for that. <laughs>
2: Um, so I feel like I've been really lucky to have a lot of good jobs um, in my career, and I feel that they have made me grow as a professional, and I've gained a lot of great experience, and um, And I think all of that experience has helped me get to where I am now um, at Pfizer, and actually um, when I was in agency, um, Pfizer was one of my clients, and I remember being at a meeting at the New Jersey offices at the time, and... I was in the meeting and I thought to myself, one day I want to work at Pfizer. At the time I didn't know how I would do it or how I would get there, but um, I used all the experience from my jobs from that point on um, to try to figure out the skills that I thought would be valued at um, Pfizer. And so that was I think the biggest accomplishment for I think my career because I set that goal. I strive for it, and I ended up getting that uh, three months ago, so I'm a little new to the organization. <laughs> um, but I would switch the um, the question a little bit to my best experience that I've had. Um, my job before Pfizer was at NYC Health and Hospitals, and it's the city's public health system um, of 11 hospitals and community health centers throughout the five boroughs. Um, and in that job, I was the director of media, and um, that job was very challenging. Um, I had a lot of... Um, crisis communications, um, and it challenged me personally and professionally, um, and so I know that when I started that job, I was a different person than when I ended that job, and that was about five years that I was there, um, and also the experience um, gave me a thicker skin, and I know I needed that personally and professionally, so um, that's really helped in everything that I've done since that point. So.
4: That's awesome. <laughs> Um, I really relate to that story about being given an open-ended position <laughs> with almost no sort of direction whatsoever, and that turning out to be the most important, um, the most important moment for you uh, in your career development. I, I uh, was in public radio before I came to the Times, <clears throat> and at a certain point was starting to feel like I wasn't sure that was the right space for me anymore, um, that I wasn't sure what the next move would be, and I couldn't quite see it. And then basically was given permission to inside that space create, this was right as podcasting was emerging, to create a program development unit within WBUR, which is the big NPR station in Boston. And really that was sort of it um, and comparable to coming into the Times with this sort of open-ended question of what is audio at the New York Times. It was what are we doing here? And it was just me. And it could have been anything. It could have been nothing. And, you know, obviously, there's also a lot of um, benefit to having people who are guiding you along the way and suggesting what you might do and showing you the way and helping you get there. But I think there's also a tremendous amount of benefit to being just put in put in a position to do it and figure it out. And that's what happened. And it resulted in the launch of shows like Dear Sugar, the launch of shows like Modern Love. And it was the it was the Partnership that was forged with the times through modern love that led to to this and it was just one of those examples of if you're left with a sort of empty space to fill um, it's easy to be overwhelmed by that or to to um, Not quite know where to begin, but I think the opportunities that arise when you're given permission to sort of like create something that's not there yet are, are tremendous and that was the same I think without that experience I mean directly without that experience I wouldn't have I wouldn't have ended up at the Times in the first place but that 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 experience gave me kind of permission when I came into the Times with the same open-ended mandate which could have been very terrifying at an organization like the Times um, to say like okay well let's just see how how big this can be and and um, I think without that experience I would
5: have I don't think I could have done that um, the best job a very close second to what I have right now at Makers, <laughs> um, was to be the editor of Seventeen. Um, that magazine meant so much to me when I was younger. I was growing up in Syracuse. It was a predominantly white suburb. There are very few people who looked like me who understand, understood where I came from. The number of times I had to explain where is the Philippines and what is the Philippines to people was uh, like insane. And I was six years old. Like I could barely do any multiplication, and I had to explain what the Philippines was. <laughs> um, But you know, after you grow up feeling you're kind of living apart from a society, um, you really cling to those places and to those um, sources where you feel like you belong. And Seventeen was really one of those places. Every time I flipped open that that magazine, I found reflections of myself in that. And so to be at the helm of something like that and to give that sort of belonging and that sort of inspiration to the next generation of girls was absolutely incredible. And to sort of be able to put my stamp on it and see how it evolves. This is a magazine that's been around for 70 plus years. And how um, I could go ahead and take sort of the DNA of what Seventeen is and really translate that to what is an incredible generation of young girls and Gen Z coming up um, was a true gift. And then also the fact that you know, in the middle of all of that, I had to discuss Justin Bieber breaking up with Selena Gomez constantly throughout the entire duration. It was just constant push pull, um, and it was really always exciting and really fun.
0: Great. So to summarize, just, it sounds like the advice is go for it in life, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I'm a little disappointed no one said like my best job was camp counselor or was working my at an job. ice cream shop. But I get it. I get it. With the the audience that we have. Um, I want to talk. Next, about our shifting um, industry. So clearly, media communications—it's shifting, and advances in technology are changing things rapidly. I'd love for each of you to share what you think the one thing or skill is that anyone who either wants to start a job in this industry now or shift jobs in this industry, which is even more likely, um, you know, should have. We can start at the other end.
5: Sure. <laughs> um, actually, I'll kind of piggyback off of. Um, what you were just saying. So my other favorite job, um, I will say, was um, being a greeter at Gap Kids when I was <laughs> in high school. Because there's nothing that's more terrifying than parents coming in with young, wily children who have to try on clothes, and you have to sort of get their attention, and talk to them, and figure out what they need, and get them in and out of that store, because there's those kids were ticking time bombs. Um, and to your point, I think no matter what the evolution is with technology or what's going on in the world, Being able to communicate and actually sit down and have a conversation with somebody and really read the room and really understand how to present yourself um, and how to understand in the conversation what that person needs and what you need to deliver to that person and what you need and how you can get that out of a conversation is always going to be important. Really communicating and understanding in person um, what is going on. I think we always try to rely on texts or social media, but really having that one-on-one communication is so important. say that job completely um, helped in terms of reading the room and reading a person really quickly and understanding what they what they need and what they want. I love that.
4: Relatedly, when it comes, I mean, we're just sort of talking about the essentials of it, I think, when it comes to what you actually make, I think the one thing that, ha- that never changes is the ability to tell a good story. Um, And I think, you know, in communications, that's never going to go away, that human beings respond positively to a good story always. And that's going to take different forms, and that's going to transform in all kinds of different ways, depending on the platform and the technology and all of that. But I think what what never changes is that people really want to be told a good story, and that that is what engages people every time. And so... I'm always looking for people who are just thinking about how do I, how do I present this information in a compelling and, and kind of natural way because that's, I mean, that's how we all, that's where it all started was, you know, telling stories to one another, and I think that's never going to change. You tell a great story every single day on the daily.
3: I listen, so. <laughs> Classic answer about writing skills. I think if you're a good writer you know, that it's just really key in any communications field. And then also the ability to be resourceful and kind of pivot quickly, I think is another key skill, especially in this evolving industry.
2: Um, So I think being an active listener is an important skill. Um, I think now with people being so connected to devices and being distracted in meetings and just not having the time that I feel like we once had, there's not enough time to get your message across if you're on the receiving end and you're with a client or you're with your boss. Um, being able to also uh, listen between the lines and try to get, um, make the most out of your um, meetings and get as much information as you need um, out of those conversations I think is, um, is a key skill.
1: Um, I would have to say adaptability. because businesses evolve and need to evolve at a more rapid pace than years prior, right? So it's really important that whether you're a new employee or a leader in an organization, that you're adaptable. Um, To me is a very important skill um, that is more important now than ever before. You can keep
5: that.
0: No, that's great. Those are amazing piece of advice. I feel like very digestible. Um, and to kind of go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, we didn't actually really necessarily call them this, but you talked about some mentors that you guys have had. Some are sitting in this room. Um, and. I wanted to ask about your mentors. So New York Women in Communications, we have a mentorship program. We put a lot of emphasis on having mentors and mentees. Um, Some people I've talked to recently, especially in the podcast, say that's almost a newer conversation in terms of having formal mentors. But we've all kind of had them, whether we call them mentors or not. So Jennifer, I'd love you to talk about your mentors, um, who a mentor has been to you and what you know what they kind of did for you and if you have mentored any anyone, what lessons you've learned um, and you know you can share with the group.
2: Sure. So um, I remember when I was a senior in college the professor had said to the class that um, once you get into the field of communications your next job should be to find a mentor who um, could be that person for you and help guide you through your career and be that sounding board for you. And I really took that to heart. Um, and I remember like, kind of like, looking like, okay, who's gonna be my mentor like, in this job? <laughs> and then eventually it just kind of happened organically and I just developed strong relationships and my mentors have been um, you know, former bosses and colleagues and even peers. Um, and so at one point early on in my career, I remember I was working in um, PR agency and at the time, it seemed like all of my PR friends were um, unhappy uh, in the agency world, and um, you know, people were questioning whether they should stay in PR or leave PR or what they wanted to do. And I remember thinking, I felt happy, and I this is what I wanted to do. Um, but I remember talking to my mentor and kind of bouncing those feelings off of her, and and kind of saying, you know, everyone around me seems like they're unhappy and they're going to jump ship, and should I be thinking about doing that too? And I was young and impressionable at the time, and um, and so that relationship that I had with a mentor at the time was so important because she was able to calm me down, um, but also talk me through um, you know, and make me reflect on some of the feelings that I was having and some of the tough questions that I needed to answer. Um, and I think that it's most important to have a mentor who knows you personally and understands your professional goals um, and is willing to give you some tough love when you need it um, and really just be there for you um, and so I feel like I've always tried to give back to um, younger professionals because I feel like I've had such a good um, sounding board throughout my career and it's so important and so I've helped mentor um, people who maybe were fresh out of college and they were afraid to pitch media and so I really worked with them individually. and. Um, mentored that way or if it came to how do they have a, you know, a conversation during their annual review um, with their boss. So just mentoring in a lot of different ways and just being there and being that um, support and um, offering that confidence and assurance. That's great. That's great. And I appreciate you
0: all sharing, you know, all the highs and lows of your careers. So let's talk about some of the We'll not call, we'll call them lows. We'll call them challenges. Um, Ashley, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, a challenge you faced in your career, how you dealt with it, and what advice you would give to people who are facing challenges in their careers.
1: Um, so there's no denying the fact that when you're faced with a challenge in your career or in business, when you're in the moment of that challenge, it can be really hard and lonely and painful. So I just want to call that out that, you know, for everyone you talk to, the most successful people in business, they will tell you that they've had lows in their career or in business. And if they tell you otherwise, I would probably think that they were lying. Like, <laughs> right? And so when you're in the moment of the challenge, it can be really hard. Um, but to me, you know, anytime I've faced those challenges in my career or in business. I have made the personal decision to power through that challenge, right? Most people give up, if it gets too hard, it's very easy to say, ah, I gotta get out of here and go do the next thing, right? Um, My recommendation is to really evaluate that challenge and find enthusiasm and optimism to tackle that challenge and help your team and your company get into a better place, right? Because what happens is, most often you're gonna come out on the positive side of the challenge. Every time, almost every time I've been faced with a challenge, we've powered through and come out on a brighter side, right? And so what happens is you see the before and after and it's so gratifying and you're so it's such an accomplishment, right? But beyond that, okay, the learnings that you extract from tackling a challenge, a true business challenge, the learnings and experience you carry with you for the rest of your career. A great example of that to me was when I was, uh, in my previous job, Um, I was running sales and marketing for a technology company, and I was pregnant with Myla, my six-year-old daughter who's here with us today. (laughs) And um, we were going through an acquisition. As I was pregnant, and I had a great big team, and lots of people to think about and consider, and I'm going on maternity leave, so it was really stressful. Right? It was. A, it was definitely a challenge. Um, And I decided to power through and I actually, we sold our company the day Mila was born. So I was on the hospital bed, the company sold and Mila was delivered. (laughs) Uh, And Melissa Goydell is with us. Uh, Second shout out to Melissa, but we really powered through that together and I couldn't have gotten through that without her. But I came back from maternity leave to this great big publicly traded company who had acquired us. My entire team landed these incredible new jobs, right? And I, I got to leave for three months and come back to this incredible situation, but for so long it felt so hard and dark, right? And so to me, the grit and the stamina and everything that had to I had to apply to that situation, you know, I'll carry with me throughout my entire career, and I will apply it to new business challenges. Um, so I just. Don't give up, you know, stick through those those tougher times and find help your company get to the next the next stage. This moment we're living in
4: a lot of nationalism, distrust,
5: economic insecurity deserves to be questioned.
1: Who protected the women and who protected Harvey? This moment deserves context
5: for these migrants,
3: it's about survival. But most of all,
5: he kind of indicates that he leans toward Putin
3: this moment deserves to be understood this is the daily a podcast from the new york times find us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen
0: in preparation for today you know we talked we had them send me questions so i can't take credit for all the questions um but one thing that lisa said she said the question was like what would you want to ask this elite crew and one thing that um she wrote was I'm going to read it verbatim. How old were you when you believed you deserved to run the thing? And I love that question because I feel like so many of us, especially women, we have like imposter syndrome where we're doing the job. And some reason, we believe that we're not supposed to be here. We don't believe in ourselves. So I'd like to turn that question on you um,
4: and ask you, how old were you? You don't have to give us your age. But when did you believe that you could Run the thing. Well, I feel like that question reveals that obviously that was something that I dealt with um, <laughs> and would love to hear everyone else's thoughts on as well. Um, but unquestionably, this job was, for me, one of the more... I didn't really under... I, I felt like somebody who had a lot of confidence in myself and my ability to do things and to and to run things. But I so I never had really related to the term imposter syndrome, and then... I was offered this job and I had and I and I suddenly like was living that feeling of what people I'd heard people describe before and I thought that they had made a terrible mistake and I I was really sure of who the person was going to be that was going to be hired into my job which was going to be you know a a man in his mid 50s early 60s far along in his career in audio probably coming from hired away from NPR, and I just had a vision of that person being the person that they were going to put in this job, and I believe that was probably the right person for the job. And I was talking with friends and talking with colleagues, and I was being pretty open about how, how nervous I was. And a lot of people said to me before I saw it, they said, well, you, of course they're hiring you. You're exactly the person <laughs> that they should be hiring. And But I couldn't see that until... I got in it and actually started doing the thing and and i it, it, i needed the people around me to say that to me first i didn't believe them um but then of course you get there and you do the thing and then you realize of course i should have this job and of course i'm the right person for this job and i what i really appreciate is that the the, the, new, the new york times saw that before i did because it was a risky thing to do, to start a brand new thing inside the times where, typically, people spend their whole careers mm. rising up through the ranks. To bring somebody in from the outside there is already an unusual thing to do. Um, and then to bring somebody in who's pretty young in their career and to really take a chance on them was was pretty bold and pretty brave. And so they were there before I was in terms of my own confidence in myself. And I think there's a lesson in that, too, in terms of you know, organizations need to believe in people in order for them to believe in themselves. <laughs> um, so. Wow.
5: You were the middle-aged man who worked <laughs> at NPR. <Yeah. laughs> um, and just to piggy op, piggyback off of that, I think what was important what you said is to have the support around you, right? I mean, oftentimes I think um, other people see your strengths before you see it yourself, and I think to have people call it your personal board, yeah. your, you know, to really rely on. And I think that was something that was really important for me, not only stepping in '17, but even stepping into this job, you know, at Makers. They predominantly operate in video. I've been in print. You can, two different mediums. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I would constantly go to my friends who were really honest with me, not just blowing smoke. Um, you know, they just tell you, yes, you have the skill set. No, you really don't have the skill set. But guess what? They're going to give it to you, and you are totally ready to take on that challenge. And having that support system, whether it's a strong group of women, your family, anybody around that, is really important to get through those times. because. Like you, you know, I was ugly, crying in a corner with ice cream. You didn't say that, but that's <laughs> what I assumed. We were the same. You know, when you get in those hard moments, um, it, it really is hard to get yeah. up. And I think having that support system and having the people—not only your mentors, but again, that sort of board um, yeah. boardroom yeah. around you—I um, think is really important to sort of um, lift you up.
1: I have to completely agree with you on that, that going back to the mentor question as well, it's like to have that personal board of directors that, you know, sometimes when you're in a difficult situation or you need to make a decision for yourself, it's very hard to see a clear path for yourself. It's like foggy because you're like, I don't know what I should be doing. Should this? But for other people, you can guide people all day long. But when it comes to yourself, sometimes I find it's confusing and I get foggy, right? So to have that personal board of directors that you can call to sit there and say, okay, you know, that basically the people who remind you of your best qualities, but also the people who will call you on when you're wrong. Um, Absolutely. My answer to that would be, you know, I'm 35 now. I would say I feel confident to run the thing now. Um, and for me, it was, you know, I work at a company where our mission is to help young women see, feel, and claim their power in the world. And for me, I honestly woke <coughs> up one day, and I'm like, Ashley, when are you going to go claim your power? Like, you know what I mean? You're talking about this mission out in market all day long. You're talking to advertisers about this mission all day long. But when are you going to claim this job, and you've been doing this job, and it's time to claim claim your power? And so for me, as scary as it was, I now, I think, feel completely ready to to do the thing. So.
0: No, that's. I mean, I think we've all had that experience. I wanted to ask Lauren, like, do you, you've been in kind of a setting where you've worked your way through, which is a little bit different than some of these stories where you've changed different jobs. You know, does that make it almost harder to do? Think you've earned it because you ha- your bosses and all these people who've been working with you when you were a junior level mm-hmm. person are here. Are there still? It's
3: a challenge, right. for sure. I mean, yes, I've worked at NBC Universal my entire career and have risen through the ranks, and it's a privilege, but it's hard to be a team member to be to then switch to be the team leader, mm-hmm. um, and I think those dynamics are challenging, but the best advice I give other women who are in similar situations is be professional, be confident. You got there because you deserve it, and the the best that you can do is make people on your team feel comfortable and pr- prove to them every day that you're you deserve to be there um, and you'll build that trust and confidence from your peers but it's it's challenging yeah, and I think I've I still as you guys are all saying I I, I deal with that every day too right. do I deserve to be here is this where I should be
0: and I think
3: I do. You at do. This point. You all do. <laughs> Thanks. Like,
0: you. Yeah. you learn one thing today. Um, want to talk about one more New York Women in Communication initiative? Um, you know, there's this overarching conversation we've been having. Call it Women Heard, and it's really just conversations about women and careers and asking difficult questions. And one thing that we've had a lot of conversations around are finances, personal finances, asking for more money. Um, you know, when to ask for a raise, how to do it, and just opening up the conversation among women when so many of us feel like that is a conversation that's taboo. So Michelle shared a very interesting thing, which is her interesting fact that she still writes checks, um, which I actually uh, I laughed at also because I knew you'd been the editor of Seventeen, and I'm like, those, yes. Do those readers know what a check? Not no. even a joke. Do they know I what know. a check
5: is? I, I always tell them that my checkbook is actually right next to my stone tablet and Tizzle <laughs> that I use to write letters your to my quill, friends. You your quill pen though. And then every morning after I turn butter, I go over to my checkbook, and then I write some letters to my friends. It's, it's a very laborious morning. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, we can talk
0: later about the advances yes. and um, banking. But um, I thought that was great, and I thought it was a great transition into asking the question. You know, now that you all have had these incredible careers, I love that they put how many years you've worked <laughs> yeah, in. You know, much. guess guess their age. Um, you know, what is a piece of advice, financial, either personal or you know, asking at the job, in your career, um, that you have for your 20-year-old self? Like, what did you wish you knew then that would just have made life so much easier?
5: Well, first of all, again, in defense of my check writing, <laughs> I just have to say the one reason why I actually kept a checkbook, and I actually balanced my checkbook often, even with the whole Chase app and everything else, it just kept me accountable. I just knew where every dollar was going, and I think that was something that was really important to me about like how I spend my money um, and how, I, how much I'm saving, which is obviously part of personal finance. But I think um, in terms of finances in the office, um, I know we say it all the time, but really it is about asking. Um, Really early on in my career, I was um, a reporter at People Magazine, and um, I was just really kicking, there's a six-year-old. I was really doing well. And um, <laughs> and I really was ready for this promotion. I was ready to become a writer reporter. Um, and everybody sort of knew it and I kind of got all these indications. I got pulled into my boss's office one day and he's just kindly looking me in his eyes. He's like, you're doing great and I think you're doing a wonderful job. We're gonna announce promotions tomorrow. Your your name's not going to be called. Oh and I was shocked and he saw the shock on me. Um, and he, and he just I asked why, and he simply just said, another girl's going to get it, because she asked. You guys have the same exact skill set. You guys have done really well. But she asked, and she asked first. And nothing <laughs> hurt me more than what? that moment, because it wasn't about me against her. It wasn't about any of that. It was the simple gesture of asking. So you best believe, ever since that moment, I have asked every single time, not only at People, but beyond, not only for the promotion, but also for the raise and everything else. So the next year, when I did actually get my raise, my bonus, and my you know this promotion, I was in the office. And the editor-in-chief gave me all the great news. She gave me my salary, which was at that time the transition of going from salaries where you don't earn overtime anymore. So when she gave me my salary, I was like, well, that's about $10,000 less than I make now. So I made that mental note. I said, thank you. I marched right back to my direct manager's office, and I said, this was a great moment. Thank you so much. Just so you know, this salary is about $10,000 less than I make overtime. So what can we do to fix that? And he totally understood the circumstance. He said, yes, this happens all of the time. We talked through it a little bit. I got exactly the amount of money that I would have gotten in my past job. So at least I was on an even playing field. I got the promotion. And then from there, we've had really honest conversations about how much I make and even just how compensation works at that company. And it's one of the reasons why I stayed at People for 12 years is because I could have those conversations and I did have those mentorships. So really, the simple gesture of asking, one of the number one reasons women do not get promotions, they don't ask.
0: I love that. It's, probably, it's good life just general <laughs> advice, always ask. The first question is just the best career advice you've ever received that we can share with this group.
1: Uh, to show up as your most authentic self to work every day. So there's not a personal version of you and a work version of you. There's only one you. And create a vision for yourself to be the best version of yourself, but be that person everywhere that you exist.
2: Um, That it's your responsibility to carve out your own career path and that you shouldn't wait for opportunities to come to you and you should go for them. Mm -hmm. That our careers are marathons. So
3: (laughs) if we're lucky, we might be working 30, 40, 50 years in this business. So build those relationships, build your reputation. And don't worry worry about necessarily tomorrow or what's in a year. You got a long time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was some version of claim your power. It was some version of basically you don't know how much power you have to determine what it is that you do, um, but it's so much of that rests inside you and what, what it is that you want to do, and sometimes I think we can forget that if we put forward the version of what it is that we want to do, we often get that version of things, but it can be easy to not understand that and to not do that and then to let, to let it happen to you. But the best—it was r- recent advice—was you know, you, you you are not aware of the power that you have to create what the, to 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 show people what what it is that you're doing, what you want to do, and I think um, you know I, that has really stuck with me.
5: I got one. Um, the best advice I got was to think big, um, because it's always easier to rein in a big idea. It's really really hard to build on a small idea and to expand on a small idea. So to constantly always think bigger and. Um, just always think big.
0: Anyone has anyone received a truly terrible piece of career advice? <laughs> I have a good one. Yeah. It's not terrible, okay. but it's a good bad piece or a helpful. bad good piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so this whole idea of your personal life is here and your business life is here and don't let them, you know, touch. Um, I have to say, I have had the best experience really blending those two worlds in certain parts. So an example of that would be um, at Refinery 29, Mother's Day, right? Myla, my daughter who has a bracelet business at six, (laughs) I'm giving her lots of attention today, um, joined me at Refinery and we invited all the Refinery moms and their kids to jewelry making class at work. Right, And so it's so simple, but that was an opportunity to expose Mila to Mommy's work, and then also bring these incredible women at Refinery and their kids to the table to give them that experience as well. And there's other things like, you know, the incredible leadership trainings we do at Refinery, things like this that actually apply. I, I, actually apply those learnings to trying to be a better mom or wife or, you know, so I just think there's so many incredible synergies between your working world and your personal life, not the whole thing, you know, merging together, but there's just to pay attention to the parts where you could blend them um, because it actually could offer your family and your work family a greater experience um, and yourself a greater experience.
0: Perfect transition. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to talk for the last question will be about work-life integration. So that's what we've been calling it, New York Women and Communications. So I know um, I said in our prep call for this, like I we don't use the term work-life balance anymore, right? Because it's not balanced and it's kind of just like sometimes it's more work, sometimes it's more not work, but it's never balanced, I don't think. If anyone has a balanced life, come talk to me after. I'd love to hear your advice. Um, but I want to ask, to wrap up before we open questions, so we are going to open up questions, If you guys want to start thinking about what you want to ask. You know, what's one thing that you always do, big or small, to just make sure that you're taking care of yourself um, at some point during the day, month, year? Let's start at the
5: other end this time. It's really basic, um, but um, I just, I honestly, I, I put my phone down for at least an hour or two every night. And I actually just sit and engage with my daughter. Um, I mean, after work, after I spend an incredible day with these women, I go home and all I do is color, take Play-Doh away from my daughter because she's about to eat it. <laughs> you know, we watch The Lion King. There's this, there is a reckless abandon and a joy that I get from just you know watching her, and it just it's so cliche. And it, I didn't realize I was going to be that parent, but I am. Um, but it really. Um, It really grounds me, and it just takes me away from what is going on on my phone um, to really kind of enjoy what it is that I have in front of me, which is this incredible young girl who um, is just like learning new things and starting to sing songs. And her remix of Itsy Bitsy Spider and Hokey Pokey (laughs) is incredible. Um, And those are the things I get to enjoy every single day. And I think that's not something that everybody actually has the, quote unquote, luxury of having is to be able to separate that. Um, So um, I think that's really important.
4: Well, to also be cliche and go on the flip side of that, I would say to call my mom. um, Because (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, she's very proud of me, but she does not care about my career I mean she, she's very <laughs> proud of me but she she would be happier if I moved back to Washington State and lived in her in her basement um, that, that would and so it's a very refreshing thing to call somebody who just like loves you because of who you are that has almost nothing to do with what it is that you do um, so so that's that's like the best reset for me
3: I make sure that at least one day a week I have no plans. Like at, at, at night, there's so many, I feel like our schedules get so crazy with work events and friends and relationships that you just need a couple hours to do laundry and call your mom and, mm-hmm. and answer and do your checkbook and, and all those <laughs> things. So I actually like literally block off time on my calendar and make sure I don't have plans like one night a week.
2: Yeah, I'm am similar uh, in that way. I try to leave Sundays um, as my day for myself, um, if possible. It's not always um, possible because of other requirements, but um, I think when you do get to have that time, um, it's really helpful in getting ready for the week and being able to relax.
1: Um, has anyone here actually ever been to the class by Taryn Toomey? Oh, it's
2: so yeah.
0: What is that? <laughs> yeah.
1: So I am not a workout person. Oh, oh wait, Danny, that's my workout partner. Okay, so uh, I, I don't work out. I don't, I'm not a gym person, never have been. Um, but this class, it's basically mind, body, spirit. Basically, you leave stress-free for what? Three days? Five days? <laughs> wow. I know. <laughs> I'm not going to say. Sign up and mention Danny's it's name. What's the coupon code for? <laughs> it's awesome. That's all. I, I try and make it once a week, um, but these days since moving to Rye, it's been about once a month, but it is awesome. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that you all are taking time for yourself, and I could talk to you all morning, so, but I will open it up um, if anyone has questions to ask. I would love to know one thing, whether it be a show, a podcast, um, maybe a new media that you are obsessed with
1: like the class I just wrote down
0: to do, but anything else that you're well, currently obsessed you, not with. Not to
1: plug Refinery29, but yes. have you read Money Diaries?
0: Love Money Diaries, yes. yes.
1: I'm pretty obsessed, because you basically get to sneak into people's lives for a week at a time to see how young women spend their money in a week's period and what their salary is. Mm-hmm. So I've been pretty addicted to that. And the book is coming out, too. So and right? the book is coming out, too. Yeah. <laughs> i know She's marketing. You plugged it, not me. <laughs>
0: You can plug your stuff. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> oh, is it a mic
5: down there? Um, I recently binge watched the um, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh so good. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. So, like, <laughs> let's talk about this, yeah. right? Um, in part because I love Gilmore Girls. But also, um, what was so amazing is that when we actually posted about Amy Sherman Palladino winning, she's the first woman to win an Emmy for writing and directing, when we posted on social media, it blew up. And I was just like, there's something that our audience loves about this. I've only heard good things. Um, I really don't have time to watch six episodes straight, but I somehow found (laughs) six hours. I have no idea how it happened over a weekend, (laughs) but I'm just thankful that my child's still alive. Like it just was great, Um, but it was just a really great show, um, really empowering women, and again, just being able to support um, a woman who's just you know shattering ceilings um, in Hollywood was just incredible.
0: Anyone else have anything they're listening to podcast?
5: Podcast. I won't put you on the spot.
4: (laughs) <laughs> what podcast, Lisa? <laughs> the thing right now is that I'm not listening to anybody else's work, and it's a problem um, because it's just too much right now.
3: Um, yeah, I was like, you should probably listen to podcasts. What else are you watching?
4: But I am actually uh, the 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 serial season one will never be matched, of course, in terms of what it did for podcasting and the level of interest and they they tapped into something very powerful i think that audio has has tried to capture that lightning in a bottle ever since um but serial season three is really really good that's really it's, good. it's yeah. really important it's about the criminal justice system and it's it's the point is sort of one it, one um unusual story from the criminal justice system was season one, and season three is about the sort of day-to-day experience of the criminal justice system, the usual stories, which tell you a lot more about how the system actually works, and it's actually very, very good. My question is, in addition to taking
3: time for yourselves, is there something that you do outside of your professional life that you love and really feeds your soul and inspires you to be like a better person all around? Mm.
0: No pressure. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs)
4: For me, leaving the city is a big one. Um, I think I can, there's no quicker way to, it has. It, it actually has a similar quality to calling my mom. There's no quicker way to sort of reset my inner self for me than to get out of the city, because I associate so much of the, the pace of the city with, mm. with work and ambition and drive and responsibilities. And so every time I leave the city, I feel immediately sort of reset in that in that regard. Um, so I try to do that at least uh, one weekend a month, and it's very powerful for me.
1: I have to agree with you. So I'm Southern, and so for me, my husband's Southern. We met actually at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi, 15 years ago, however many years ago. For me, getting back to my Southern roots, I actually listen to Johnny Cash every single morning almost before I go to work. Like, I'm just... Getting back to my southern roots, for me, keeps me really grounded and feeling comfortable with myself.
3: Hi. Um, It's sometimes really hard to say no to things at work. I think we all have a tendency to say yes to everything, and we're excited about everything. So what advice do you have for saying no gracefully?
5: No, gracefully. So when I first started at Makers, one of the things that we used to do um, on social media, and editorial, was we would say happy birthday to everybody. It was just one of those things that we loved to do. We just loved. It. We were like the feminist hallmark. We just said <laughs> happy birthday to every woman. That was it. On um, that was a part of it, and it was a great. It was a wonderful gesture, but um, it didn't quite make sense because some of those people weren't even on social media. And some of those people didn't even know that we were saying happy birthday. It was just—it was a way of building community, but it was also um, it, it didn't quite make sense with how often we were doing it. And so Dylan, because she's phenomenal and lovely, I got to sit down and I just basically said, look, I love this gesture. And I love what we're doing, but this is why. I think we should just change it a little bit. And this is why I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And she was really open to hearing that. And she's always been really open to just evolving what our editorial strategy was based off of me just being able to have a conversation and be able to say, why no? Everybody just says, no, we're not going to do that. Or it just doesn't, you know, they just assume saying no was just okay and it's done, but there has to be a reason behind it and there has to be a discussion behind it and you have to be open and you have to be really willing to engage and really defend why you believe something. That's a very small thing, you know, and other ways like there were different things I did at 17 to just completely, I got rid of sections that were the most popular sections because I didn't think they made any sense whatsoever in terms of our editorial mission and I had to fight for those but I didn't just go in and say no, this is a horrible idea, we're just going to burn it all down, you have to really go in and be ready to have that discussion and really understand where, and really be able to communicate, excuse me, where you're coming from in order for everybody to really have the buy-in and support you in that decision.
3: I wondered about your news consumption. Um, I think to be, it seems like to be a powerful woman right now, you need to be informed about the state of the world, but being informed about the state of the world currently can be demoralizing, um, so Lisa, I hope you're okay, um, <laughs> specifically. But I wondered if uh, if you try to limit the amount that you know or if you have certain habits that, um, that help you sort of be informed but not be demoralized.
2: In my last job, I found that I was having a hard time because I was um, in media relations for the public health system. And so as part of that job, I had to read the Post and the Daily News and the New York Times and Cranes. And, and, I, and I was getting to a point where I was feeling like I thought the city was horrible and I thought people were being killed on every corner and <laughs> like people were dying in the hospitals all the time. And like, it was just getting to a point of being overwhelmed with it. And so I really had to, I had to, I had to do what I needed to do for my job so I knew the headlines and, and could be ahead of things. But I also had to be able to balance it with the happier News. So I was. I'm always on um, people, and <laughs> I love watching. Um, you know, any type of mindless reality TV, and I think that sometimes people um, judge you for that a little bit. But mm-hmm. but so you have to give yourself a relief. And I think working in healthcare can be um, heavy and a lot of um, serious issues. And so that's why I tend to balance um, with my other passion of celebrity gossip, and news, and (laughs) the royal baby bump, and uh, following all of those things that kind of make things a little bit more uh, happy for me.
3: I was just going to say, I worked at NBC News and MSNBC for almost a decade before I moved into corporate communications, so I obviously am a a consumer of news, particularly from the brands that I worked for, but it's, it's hard. I think the... I mean, Twitter is a great way to stay informed and follow a lot of different perspectives. Um, But especially in this industry, I do think that you need to really be engaged, um, not only in political news, but also in industry news. There's so much. It's changing so quickly. So following a a few key media journalists is also a, a great way to just get headlines and kind of understand high level what's happening
4: this is really not a plug but I but the the daily was actually born out of that feeling which was every, you know two weeks after the election it felt like it, we didn't understand the world we were living in it was overwhelming there was a lot of bad stuff happening um, there was you know there was ugliness there was division and it was born out of a feeling by everybody there that there needed to be a way to sort of clear the noise but still stay informed. And so the 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 mission of the show is actually this idea of what you need to know, one story that you need to know and, you know, at the end a couple of extra things that you that you should probably know too, but it's actually designed to clear the noise and to but but to keep people informed. So it's born out of that feeling, um, but that doesn't mean that we don't—I don't have to be overwhelmed by the news in order to <laughs> to, to participate in in that process. But um, but that's that's the that's the uh, mission.
5: Um, I think, obviously, keeping track of women's news lately has been very daunting and exhausting and sometimes just debilitating. Um, But I will say one of the things that we were able to create at Makers was this space of where women are doing positive things. And I think one of the series that we're most proud of is a series called Bold and Untold, where we're talking about women who sort of ripped out of history books. And what's amazing is that. Not only do we need to hear that news, other people have. So we launched this series with just 10 episodes in August, and we have 25 million plus views. So what we're seeing is that women need that information, and they need that positivity. And that's sort of what gets me through. Um, all of this crazy noise and all of what's coming at us is that there are still these beacons of light who have paved the path, and people want to hear that. You know, you're not just having everybody in their corners just kind of wallowing. You have people really reaching for hope and really reaching to be inspired. So
0: obviously you all have made great accomplishments. Um, I get the pleasure of working with Michelle every day, seeing all the amazing ones she's made.
5: I wrote a check Um, for her earlier today (laughs) to
0: say that. (laughs) Good to watch her write those. Um, But <laughs> if you could speak to what's your favorite failure, mm. any of those? I know that's a like tough one and a weird one to end on, but
1: I have that. I yeah. have <laughs> well, lots of failures, um, and I'm okay to admit that. I, early in my career, uh, managing and leading, I would say I thought you had to be a tough boss, meaning. I thought that I thought empathy and connection was almost like a sign of weakness, and I would say that um, to me it was a failure. That for quite you know a few years there, I feel like I was um, less empathetic than I could have been, and now one of my proudest leadership qualities is empathy and connection with my team. Um, so I would say it's a failure that I identified quickly and um, help myself and had other people help me evolve my leadership and management skills into a much more productive place that I now get so much fulfillment from um, to me was like transformative.
0: Thank you guys so much. thank you for being here this morning. one more. Congratulations. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orkut, Chrisanne Grize, Kylie Harris, Elizabeth Roberts, Mandy Carr, Andrea Goldstein, and Alex Feder, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. That's newyorkwiki.org slash
4: podcast. Thanks
0: for listening.